Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and I am your host, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. The Unlearning Podcast is all about helping you learn to love Jesus in your neighborhood healthy, life-giving Christian theology. I hope you're doing well as you're driving around or going for a run, listening to the show. We just finished a two-week heat wave here in Los Angeles, and it is such a relief that the temperatures are starting to fall. Speaking of fall, pumpkin spice lattes are out. So are cinnamon brooms for sale. Pete's Coffee has a dark chocolate mocha that I really love, and it's good if you like chocolate and orange flavors. I'm excited about fall. Let's just put it that. But today's episode is a very fitting episode for fall because we'll be looking at the moment in Luke's gospel where Jesus confronts a demon. And I think it's a good Bible passage to look at as we make our way into this beautiful, spooky time of the year. And so I'm excited. Let's begin. In addition to pumpkin spice lattes, the fall season brings Halloween, the time of the year where we dress up in costumes and children go trick-or-treating and we watch our favorite horror films and reread stories by Edgar Allan Poe. But for many evangelicals, Halloween is a sin. It was seen as a dance with the devil, that we were all celebrating Satan and his minions. This is why there are fall festivals at churches instead of Halloween parties. Fall festivals are an interesting way to get all the benefits of the holiday and all the candy and all the fun while still maintaining a position of superior holiness and separation from the culture. But I think calling these kinds of events fall festivals is a little weird. The evangelical culture has a way of taking all the benefits of the culture without acknowledging it. For example, I just saw the promotional trailer for a conference led by John MacArthur. The video has several clips of preachers literally screaming, screaming about the glory of God while on a vintage television. It felt very much inspired by the Netflix show Stranger Things. The conference theme is also called Remnant. And so it has this apocalyptic theme that is so prevalent in mainstream media today. For anyone who is unfamiliar with the show Stranger Things, it's about adolescents and their battles with various aliens and demons with the help of a superpower alien teenage girl. It's a great show to watch this time of year if you like horror and suspense and the 1980s. Uh, But Stranger Things is probably not a show pastors at Grace Community Church recommend to church members, and yet their creatives are inspired by it. I'm sure you can think of many ways that evangelicals have taken the styles and movies and events in in the mainstream culture and used it for their mission. That would not be so much of a problem if evangelicals did not constantly criticize and condemn the very culture they are so inspired by. Speaking of mainstream media and demons, in 1973, a film came out into movie theaters all over the country that shocked and terrified America. This powerful, haunting movie tells the story of Reagan, the daughter of an actor who became possessed by a demon. Being demon-possessed caused Reagan to become violent and convulse uncontrollably. She would vomit and shake, and then I think she ended up even killing another person in the movie. If you haven't already guessed what movie I'm talking about, Reagan is the teenage star of the 1973 movie The Exorcist. 
When this movie came out, it shook audiences to their core and brought to life strong and vivid images of evil spirits and demons to the American conscience. Prior to 1973, demons were written about in novels and in nonfiction books. I mean, they could be seen in movies, but nothing so graphic like that. Demons could also be found in the Bible. They are found in the Bible. The Exorcist movie, however, gave our understanding of demons shape, and it crystallized this idea that someone could be possessed by an evil spirit. Many of us still understand demons through this lens. We believe demons to be part of a moral army of oppressive spirits that recruit humans into an evil force, possessing them with an evil energy, not unlike the Death Eaters in Harry Potter. But Bible scholar Fred B. Craddock paints a different picture of demons that might shed some light on our next passage in Luke. In our last episode on Luke, Jesus was rejected by his hometown for proclaiming a gospel of liberation and for proclaiming to be the Messiah. The leaders of his hometown mocked him, rejected him, and pushed him towards a cliff to kill him. But Jesus escaped. One quick side note, I was listening to Shepherd's Conference the general session where John MacArthur opened the conference for last year. I was listening to John MacArthur's sermon for last year, and he went on and on about liberation theology. And do you know what he did when he talked about it? He mocked it. He rejected it. And he proclaimed that anybody who followed it was totally damned. It's interesting that People had the same reaction to liberation theology back in the time of Christ as they do today. More on all of that in another episode. John MacArthur and liberation theology could be a whole series. Okay, anyway, in the next story in Luke's gospel, Jesus healed a demon-possessed man. And so we enter into Luke chapter 4, verse 31, and we begin to move away from the infancy narratives and the baptism and the proclamation of Isaiah from the book of Isaiah into the main ministry season of Jesus's life, in which some people call Jesus's Galilean spring, the Galilean spring of Jesus. Now, today I'm going to walk you through one special event during Jesus's Galilean spring. Then I'm going to unpack the ancient understanding of demons and talk through how Jesus played the exorcist. Hear now the gospel of Jesus according to Luke. He went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching, because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet, come out of him. Then the demon, throwing the man down before them, came out of him without doing him any harm. They were all astounded and kept saying to one another, What kind of word is this? That with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And news about him began to reach every place in the region. Now, it's important to note that Luke was not an eyewitness to anything he wrote down in his gospel. 
Luke compiled his gospel from shared eyewitness accounts. Remember in chapter 1 where he wrote, Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I too decided as one having a grasp of everything from the start to write a well-ordered account. Luke put together his gospel from interviews, stories, and from the gospel of Mark and from what Bible scholars call the Q source. That's the letter Q, the Q source. The Q source is a collection of Jesus' sayings found in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark. John is not part of this conversation at all. John's gospel is so unique that it's not even part of the synoptic gospels. Now, if this whole idea of a Q source is new to you, check out the episode in numbers number three, New Way of Looking at Scripture. It's the third episode of this podcast. I think you'll really find it helpful if this is all new to you. Scholars believe that both Matthew and Luke used certain chapters from the Gospel of Mark to write down their own account. And not only did they use Mark's Gospel, not the whole thing, just like the middle chapters, they also used something called a Q source or a pamphlet containing sayings of Jesus that was passed around, that was circulated. Scholars believe that Matthew wrote a Gospel specifically for the Jews to persuade the Jews of Jesus' divinity. And they believe that Luke, being a highly educated Gentile doctor, wrote a gospel for the Gentiles to persuade them that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. So these kinds of different purposes for writing the different gospels, for taking Mark and Q-source accounts and writing different gospels, explains why there are difference, differences in the text or different edits or redactions in the text. In Luke chapter 4, verse 31, Luke wrote that a man... With an unclean spirit came in and said, Leave us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting that this demon knew who Jesus was when other people did not. He called Jesus out and he named him the Holy One of God. It's also interesting that there are multiple demons or spirits within him. He constantly identifies as us. But I'm curious, what did this man say that was so evil? Now, we know from Jesus' brother, James, in his letter, James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the demons believe in God. But I'm not entirely sure that what this un- man with the unclean spirit said was actually evil. Fred B. Craddock points out that demons in ancient Israel were seen very differently than they are today. For one, demons of the antiquity were not seen as moral creatures, but as physical and mental spirits. Craddock wrote, and I quote, Belief in demons was not native to Judaism and therefore entered through contact with other cultures. Demons were said to inhabit deserts, large bodies of water, the air, and the subterranean regions. When they entered a person, they were considered to be the cause of blindness, muteness, and all kinds of physical problems, as well as mental disorders. And that's really interesting to think about, isn't it? In the time of the Gospels, demons were a physical or mental experience, not a moral experience. In other words, demons were considered the cause of physical and mental illness. Craddock goes on to explain that, and I quote, people in that time and place were not unlike 
those of other times and places in experiencing a great deal of hostility in the universe and in having to deal with forces hidden in mystery lying outside the usual avenues of cause and effect. End quote. Let me read that again because I know it can sound a little wordy. People in that time and place were not unlike those of other times and places who experienced a great deal of hostility in the universe in having to deal with forces hidden in mystery that were outside the usual avenues of cause and effect. End quote. Now, people really struggle with forces hidden in mystery. And so they turned to these demons and understood by other cultures to explain the usual avenues, what the usual avenues of cause and effect could not explain. I totally, totally get that. I imagine so much of Jesus' ministry was helping people walk by faith and not by sight. I imagine so much of his ministry was about helping people tolerate and cope with the the things that the usual avenues of cause and effect could not explain. It's so important that we learn to be people who can tolerate things that don't go our way, that we become people who can let things go and not become so attached to outcomes. It's important that we become tolerant of the forces in our life that are hidden in mystery. I want to circle back on this idea that demons are not connected to morality. To explain this idea more, Craddock wrote, and I quote, We will meet Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, of whom it is said that Jesus exercised seven demons from her. It is erroneous to assume that because of the seven demons, she was an immoral woman, as she is so often portrayed. Luke will tell us in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 33, of a man whose demons were legion. They were so many, but their influence was not in the realm of morals. He lived among the tombs without clothing, often frightening local citizens with his bizarre behavior. End quote. So many people point to Mary Magdalene as the antithesis of feminine virtue until she met Christ. Nothing could be further from the truth. According to this historical context, Jews described her as demon-possessed to describe a physical or mental illness she had. The same can be said for Legion, who lived among the tombs. I love Legion's story. Too often we pathologize mental health issues and physical disabilities. Although I firmly believe that our Creator wants no one to live in physical or mental pain, I don't believe that every disability is a liability or something to overcome. People who are born with Down syndrome or born without use of their legs or sensitive or autistic are very much fearfully and wonderfully made. Our Creator did not make a mistake. It comforts me to see my entire body as entirely God's will. But it might not feel right for you to think of your health as God's will. It might make you feel awful. It might be more helpful for you to think that your health and abilities came to you by chance, but that God is with you in that experience, helping you to heal and cope and thrive in the context you are in. Either way, we all, regardless of what we believe about God's sovereignty, need to be able to tolerate what Craddock so eloquently describes as forces hidden in mystery. We have to be able to tolerate and accept how we were born, the gifts we have and and the gifts we don't have. 
Now, I'm sure you're thinking, Ashley, that's a strange conclusion to this passage where Jesus exercises the demon-possessed man, given the fact that this man was completely healed by Jesus. Can healing from all mental and physical ailments really happen as it did with this man and countless others in the gospel stories? I believe it can. I believe that with therapy and boundaries and sometimes medicine and physical therapy, our physical and mental pain can heal. I also know that sometimes it doesn't. And the challenges that we face as human beings does not make God good or bad. Sometimes the challenges we face are simply part of being human beings and not a God or a demigod. And we have to be okay with our humanity. We have to be able to tolerate reality and the forces hidden in nature and still believe that God is good. In the same way that in our personal relationships, we have to be able to accept our friend or our boss or our partner's humanity and still believe that they are good even when they hurt our feelings. In this event, Luke wrote that Jesus rebuked the demon-possessed man, telling him to be quiet and to come out of him. I think the rebuke part is part of the context of that time, part of also establishing Jesus' sovereignty over the Spirit. Luke also wrote down this vague visual of the experience. He wrote that the evil spirit threw the man down and that a demon came out. It was gone and the whole experience left the man harmless. People were astounded. They didn't know that someone could command these physical ailments or these forces hidden in nature. But Jesus did. What kind of authority and power does this man command where demons come out? The authority and the power that Jesus has is nothing like what we see in the world today. Jesus Jesus is not in charge of one country. He's not a part of systemic oppression. He has doesn't have certain power only in certain circumstances. Jesus has a power and an authority that is so big and so grand and so limitless that he commands even the hidden forces in nature. And so we can trust Jesus, whether he answers our prayers with healing or not. We can trust Jesus, whether we understand the trials we are going through or not. We can trust, we can trust, we can trust Jesus, whether we are single or married or on hospice or in a spiritual wilderness at work, because hidden in those mysterious forces is a God who came down to earth, who took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Because hidden in those mysterious forces is a Redeemer who can and will make all things work out together for good. I have no idea why God allows certain people to have specific talents and others to have severe disabilities. But I do know and truly believe that God is good and that what is good for us is not always apparent. We can trust in our Creator to heal us, to strengthen us, and to help us through no matter where we are in life. Jesus knows what it's like to be in our shoes. Jesus knows the human experience firsthand and He loves us each of us, completely and unconditionally. I hope you found this episode to be helpful. 
If you have any questions, you want to talk about this more, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ashley L. Hangst or online at AshleyLHangst.com. Until next time, I hope you are enjoying this beautiful fall season. My name is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and you are listening to the Unlearning Podcast. <laughs>